This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, you guys, I have a treat. I had to literally pull this person out of their YouTube bubble. I have the African Tigress, a.k.a. the King and Sister. If you know anything about Black YouTube, African YouTube, you have seen one of her videos at least. She is growing. She is in the full space. She's also a contributor on the African Diaspora News Channel and probably other platforms that I don't even know about. But African Tigers, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kellen. I <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> it's been long. We've planned this for so long, I know. And it, and it, and it should not be anything that we have to plan too much because I, I can talk to African Tigers anytime. She has, was very helpful before and during and after when um, I went to Kenya. And I can talk to African Tigress, a, a true friend, but when trying to get her on the show, she's like, what are you gonna ask me? I don't know if I wanna talk about that. I don't know if I'm ready because African Tigress likes to um, sometimes play the shy Tigress. But I, I am. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I wanna talk about, you know, um, we're gonna, we can talk about YouTube, and I want to then go into your other businesses, so, you know, prepare your mind. But what got you started, and why did you want to do YouTube? Well, it was just a hobby, but basically, I love traveling. So a lot of times after my travel, if I lose my phone, I lose all my content. If my laptop crashes, I lose everything. So basically, I just wanted a place to store um, the content, my videos and photos from traveling. So in fact, my very first videos, a number of them are private because they were like personal videos. And then along the way, my sister was like, you know, you can still do this. So she started showing me vlogs and people and all that. I was like, okay, this is actually something I could look at. And basically that's how I started. And once you start, uh, you start going into it, it's, it's hard to stop. Okay. And, you know, being a, a, a traveler like you were, Tell the people how you travel, because I think a lot of times when people see African YouTubers travel the way you travel, they automatically say, oh, wow, they're rich. They, um, you know, must have be an ambassador's daughter or, or something. But you were kind of double dipping on your traveling where, you know, for your other ventures, you would, mm -hmm. you know, you would double dip. So explain to people how you did that so they can, um, you know, kind of learn how you do it without, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Okay, so initially it was all work-related. I would travel maybe for work, trainings, conference, programs, and all that. So you find that in such cases, sometimes everything is paid for, and sometimes maybe they pay part of it, you pay the other part of it. So whenever I could travel, I could extend my stay, and then that's when I would do visit places, check out the people, the environment, and all that. But then later on, it's just 
through savings and I don't, you have to work with a budget, you know, you don't have to travel like everybody does. So you work with your budget. Okay. Okay. And, and, and what type of, you know, work were you doing when you were traveling? Cause you've been to so many countries on the continent and I mean, even outside of the continent. I've done uh, stuff to do with the sustainable development goals. <laughs> I've done advocacy issues. Uh, I've worked with uh, different international organizations and uh, also my uh, startup. Okay, so besides the startup, all those other things, they sound very government related. Is that correct? No, not government related. I foundations, I can't say foundations, foundations like South Kellen Foundation. <laughs> okay, so like are these NGOs? Kind of, kind of. Okay, and how how did how did you get started doing that type of work? When I was in school, I started doing volunteer work when I was at university. So when I got to my first year. I started, I registered a club at the university. So basically what I was trying to do was to bridge the gap between the education and the outside world because a lot of times the education system, what we learn sometimes may not be what is actually the practical, the practicability of it is different in the field. So I would get people from who are experts in a certain field and they would get uh, to connect with students, uh, talk uh, to students, mentor them. And if they have opportunities, they could create them. And I also wanted, uh, I was also doing it such that if there's a student who's talented and maybe is good in design and stuff like that, there's no point of me going to look for a designer outside when my fellow student can actually give me those services. So basically, it was just trying to bring these people together and we could uh, use each other to grow as a, a team. So as such that if you're an entrepreneur, you're starting, at least you have people who will support your business in the immediate environment, your fellow students and all that. So I started that. That was in first year. Uh, when I was in my first year, second semester, the students proposed that I go for a student leadership position. So... I was like, uh-uh, I don't want, how am I going to handle this? I'm on my attachment. I need to do this. They told me, no, 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 no. Whether you like it or not, you're going to go for this position. And I was like, no, let me think about it. They were like, no, 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 you have to tell us now. I was like, okay, cool, fine. So uh, how it started, they just posted on social media. The university had this group. So they posted on social media that I'm going for the director academic affairs. So for me, I was just there reading the comments, <laughs> seeing how people are going to take it. <laughs> well, I I went in, I went into it. I got elected. I won the elections. Now, like I started, and then now I I got a position to reach out more to students and just push for certain things that the students needed. And uh, during that time, also social media is a good place. A lot of people think it's a distraction, but it's, it's, it can actually be a very good place. Because during that time, I think the people who had seen what I'm doing and, they, and what I post on social media, they connected me with this organization. It's called Uraya Kenya. It is um, 
it is it's mostly about uh the constitution the like it's uh this particular project was about the constitution and the two-thirds gender policy which is a policy that we have in kenya whereby not more than two-thirds of a certain committee be it leadership or whatever should be of the same gender so uh, someone told me that they were having an opportunity in that and they should uh, apply for it. They recommended me. So I, I went for it. I got it. So I started working with the grassroots women, uh, with that that organization, Uraya Kenyan Foundation for Women's Rights in Kenya. And I think that's how I got myself into that space. So from a volunteer to being able to travel, you know, to various countries and then taking that, and saying, I'm going to film these things. Um, and here you are, you know, um, making, you know, so, so many, so many, you know, hundreds of thousands of just views on online. I mean, could you have imagined when you started that this is where life would have took you? Like, was there any kind of plan? Uh, to be honest, no, because actually what I did after uni, I started now, because now I was transitioning from the university to the like outside world, as I can call it. Uh, as I was transitioning, I registered an organization in my community. So we could work with women and youths because like they are the marginalized sections of the community, the youths and the women, they are the most vulnerable in the community. So we started doing a lot of stuff. Then I also introduced medical camps because my background is in healthcare. So we could do medical camps. We could do like um, campaigns, like in some places uh, whereby there's like uh, uh, anti-jigger campaigns and all that, anti-drug and alcohol campaigns, reaching out to students and the young people in the community. So along the way, we faced challenges because there are governor felt like we were being a threat so whatever we were doing it was being frustrated by the governor so we had to like we felt like our life was important and we didn't want so much so me and the team we just decided because even the project that you could write and all that we propose and we write to the ministry uh, of gender and all that they later on hijack the project and everything and brand it like theirs because the problem is that leaders have, in most cases, employed old people. It's not bad to be old. It's okay to be old, but they've employed old people who are not creative in what the young people need. So when you're talking about the office of the youth, gender and sports, but you're employing someone who is like 80 years old, this person is not in touch with the current trends and all that and what the young people want. So like we felt that they were now using us because you could write a proposal and everything they take it and make it theirs and then they invite us as guests yet we are the ones who wrote everything so uh, from that point we kind of moved but i really never thought like uh never like never thought about youtube and no, it wasn't in the plan and what you're describing is an issue that um you know the elder generation and the folks coming up who actually know the technology globally we're all having the same issues and having to say you know either be able to adjust or retire so i definitely understand that now with, with you know the business of being a youtube some people think oh people are on youtube just because they couldn't find a job clearly that wasn't your case 
um, like many, you've decided to put, you know, a full-time effort into YouTube as, as well as your, your businesses. Um, tell the people, is YouTube, you know, a, a way to get rich? Because I think other folks think, oh, you're just doing YouTube because it's so much money. They think that YouTube, you know, is paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to every creator. No, no, no. To be honest, no. It works for some, but um, if you're going to YouTube, I would say if you're going to YouTube thinking that you're going to make money instantly, you'll be super disappointed and depressed. So I, would, I don't think going to it thinking that, oh, I'll get monetized, I'll start making lots of money and all that, then I'll quit my job. I've seen a lot of people who do everything, everything they could to get the first 1,000 subscribers and then they push whatever it takes, even if it's running empty live streams, whereby you see people, they say silent stream, whereby now they put just something, the camera is recording and it's recording nothing. Like they just put it on a wall or facing something. I've seen people doing that. So people do that and then they get the watch time. They, after they've gotten that and they get monetized, they realize that the money is not as much as they thought. And a lot of people end up going back and they quit doing YouTube. So I think it's passion. If you're going for it for the money, then you'll have to put a lot of work. And you should just ensure that you don't get discouraged along the way. How many hours would you say in a week do you put into your YouTube? I put a lot. I can say, oh my goodness, it's a lot of time. I can't even, uh, you can put four times, uh, we can put four times, four times seven, that is 28. Mm, okay. It's more than 28 because sometimes if I'm doing the sit downs and editing, that's also a lot. When I'm checking content and researching on what I'm going to, uh, to, to, to put the videos about, it's also a lot because you need to do research. You just don't sit and start streaming. So I would say it's a lot. It's probably 40, 40 hours or something. And with, with that, you know, the, the 40 hours, are you seeing what you would see at a job that you put 40 hours in? Is it, would you say more money or less money? Um, if, I, if I did a job 40 hours, a different job 40 hours. Okay. So, I mean, is it about equal or is it, is it the job is, is, is more money for sure? Um, well, it depends with the job. To be honest, it depends with the job that you do. But so far, I'm satisfied. Okay. Yeah, so far, I'm satisfied. Like, the more you put, the more effort you put, yes, the reward is also bigger. Just that. Put more effort, put more effort into editing your videos, learning a lot of things about it. Yes, then the reward is bigger. It's basically well, and, that. and the picture that I want to paint is, and I, and I want you to tell me, you know, your, your experience for the jobs that you have, is it more beneficial? Would it be more beneficial for you to just work a job and make more money or about the same? Or it is YouTube... At, you know, are you able to make more money on YouTube than you would working at a job that you would accept? Well, now I would compare it with probably my startup, right? Uh, my startup is at the beginning phases, so there, there's no basically no revenue. 
I put about equal terms for both. So at least it's able to fund my life as I'm building this other thing. But at the long run, I know my startup would give me more than YouTube. Okay. And, and, and I didn't want it to be an either or. It's just that, you know, even here in America, 40 million people have lost their job and folks are calling and saying, how can I replace that income? I've heard about this YouTube thing. But that same conversation is being had in Turkey, too. And people think, oh, let me turn on this camera. So when they hear this interview and they hear, oh, well, if I put 40 hours in, maybe it's possible that I can, you know, change my, uh, my situation. And it's not a guarantee because your, you know, CPM is going to be different than somebody who's in Japan or somebody who is in Florida and, and that you've already started. So I, that's what I was getting to. Because you're such on an entrepreneurial kick where if you're not, you know, going to kill your food, you're not going to eat. So I, I guess you love the freedom that you have in your startup and in your oh, yes. Yeah. And that freedom, can you explain that freedom for those who want to feel that? Like, what is it? about, you know, being able to kill and eat your own food that you're, you enjoy so much? Um, honestly, I got employed for one week. I think one and a half weeks. So <laughs> when I finished my undergrad, I moved uh, out of a city where I was staying with my parents and all that. It was a hard decision to make because moving to the city, Nairobi, without a job, without anything, apart from the few savings, I had $700. <laughs> so moving was hard and it took me almost one year in order for me to, I started a business. There's a business I started immediately after that. And after one year, I kind of I kind of started seeing the, the fruits. But before then, I tried a number of things. I tried uh, this, this thing of selling policies, insurance, unlike the, the US or wherever where people know it's automatic and it's obvious for them to have insurance. Here you have to sell. So you are like an agent. So I have to meet you, Kellen, and convince you why you need a life policy or an education policy for your child. Because uptake of insurance is at 3%. It was so hard. I didn't even sell one. <laughs> I was just trying, you know, I was just trying to survive. So it was so hard. I didn't sell any. And after a while, I was like, okay, fine. This thing is not working for me. I need to find something else to do. I got a job and I got tired by the second week. In fact, the first day I was, the, the, the next week, on about day nine, I overslept. When I got up, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's late. I can't make it to work. Let me call in sick. I called in sick. Then the next day I overslept and that's how I quit the job. I was like, this thing is not for me. I think I was getting frustrated by being overworked and they were not paying me in, in relation to that. So they were also giving me administration work, which I don't like. It was not part of my agreement. So if I have been given my tasks, I've completed. I hated the fact that they would now start giving me task, tasks for someone else. So if I'm fast enough, I finish my work and all that. I want to do something I like. 
something I'm passionate about. I don't want you to give me tasks that it's not in a field that I'm, I enjoy. So we that's call like that busy work, busy work. Huh? Yeah. Busy work and then keeping, trying to keep up, you know, the people who aren't performing. Now you have to keep them up. I definitely get that. So you, you did that for a very short time and you're like, this is not for me. I quit by the way. I didn't even write resignation letter. I just stopped going to work and that was it. So I just decided now I have to find something else to do because these bills are not going to pay themselves. Nairobi is not a cheap city to live in. Uh, of course, if you look at it in USD, fine, it's cheap. But looking at it and the money that people make in Kenya, it's the most expensive city to live in. So that was hard. So I had to look for other solutions. I started some other business. I was started a shop and stuff like that. So I did a lot of things. And when you start businesses and they start performing and then you actually realize that you can actually make money without being employed and you realize that you're actually making more money compared to what uh, you would have received on employment. Because basically if I would have received, if I would have gone to get a job in my field with the government, I would probably have started with about 200 or three, 200 and something dollars a month or 300 and something dollars per month. Like that's, that's something I, I think I was so ambitious. I didn't want small money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did want small money and you didn't want to be dependent on, you know, a man to provide and say, Hey, um, I'm sure you, you've had, you know, bride price offers where you can sit back if you accept this offer. But with oh. that also comes, you have to listen and do everything else that you may not want to do and be like, uh-uh, that's not, that's not for me. I don't want to have to do anything. Talk, talk about, you know, how do you think you have impacted the African YouTube space being one of the few black women who does not, you know, focus on beauty or makeup and you're talking about real issues. Thank God. Mm -hmm. uh, I can say a lot of Africans to begin with, continental Africans, a lot of issues I talk about, they don't relate because I believe after lots of years of colonization, the education system that is not meant for us. So a lot of people don't get to see issues as I see them. And I don't blame them because my experience has been different from their experience, the interaction, because also traveling does open your eyes and meeting some people. There are people that you meet that make you realize, okay, so my life has been a lie. Oh, so this history we learned is actually a lie. Because the education system is in a manner that we don't even question we are told so and so discovered Mount Kenya. We are like, yeah, he discovered exams come. Who discovered Mount Kenya? It's in the you have to write that person. So it's like it's like some sort of conditioning, mental conditioning that happens in the education system. So sometimes when I'm having these conversations, a lot of people don't relate to. When I'm having they don't relate to, especially continental Africans. Sometimes I get calls from people, they asking me questions and all that. Some would say, oh, no, I don't agree with you. It's about this and that. But I believe it's a good thing because it's actually starting to make them think. When I get people questioning me, why did you say this and all that? I believe it is actually uh, making people to like really see the other side apart from what you were just taught. 
and I believe this kind of conversations will actually be I will actually be impactful to many people. There are people who listen to me and I've started noticing a lot of continental uh, Africans uh, supporting me and listening. And then they're like, for sure, that thing you said, it's actually true. Like it makes them to start questioning, but wait, were we told about this in school? Why were we? So it's just providing that alternative. Where does the media do this? It's just providing that alternative media and actually making people, it's like people in some sort of, I can say it, uh, some sort of slumber. So it's like, making people to start uh, waking up and open their eyes. Okay, so that's, I mean, you, it, it's almost like you are this generation's, you know, there, there's so many African women who have led. And, 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 you know, on this side, you know, where media shows women, you know, equal to men can say what they want. It's, it's just kind of, you know, interesting that many women in Africa still feel like they are held back. I know that, you know, I get frustrated and have guests on here talking about, you know, the genital mutilation and or they're from organizations where, you know, men just don't get it. Again, it's those same 65 and up men saying, what's wrong? We've always done things like this. But you're you're really changing things for a whole continent. How do you deal with the stress of you know being a influencer, being a role model? Um, do you ever find it scary or overwhelming? <sighs> yes, sometimes it's overwhelming when you're trying to like really show people something, providing them with facts, and then they just ignoring and. You're just trying to tell people, could you see this other perspective? Could you just try and see, like, it's so overwhelming. Sometimes you feel like you are alone in this. You feel like you're pushing for something alone. And it can be discouraging because everybody else is just trying to follow the other routes, the way with the conditioned route, how you should do things and all that. So it's it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Even those... Sometimes even those who understand, you only understand uh, one side of it. So when you know so much, sometimes it's hard to live a normal life. Because <laughs> yeah. you cannot unknow what you already know. Yeah. You cannot know it and go back to how you were previously. Because you are previously the same, uh, in the same spot that they are in. Sometimes if it were possible, maybe that would have been an easier option because you feel like it's your responsibility now to teach and educate people. And yeah, of course, sometimes we also have to be careful with our lives. Um, you might call out something, say some truth that some people don't want it to be known. So yeah, you also have to be careful with that. And yeah, unfortunately, sometimes you have to also censor or watch what you say, or say it in a politically politically correct way. Talking about being politically correct, let's talk about some of the you know stereotypes on both ends that you have heard. Um, you know, Africans say about African Americans, um, and vice versa. Like, what are some things that stand out to you? Because I I could go on. For days, but I want to hear you know your 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 response. Well, one that I've had 
sadly for both sides they believe or oh, african americans haters or oh, africans haters so there's that that uh i don't like it it's like overwhelming like hate 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 it's always hate and oh they discriminate us they don't like us i mean that's one thing i always hear and then oh they say oh africans are african americans oh africans are so weak oh so docile so what oh can you do this why can't you kick why can't you kick those people out of your land? Why can't you do this? But looking at, on it, at it on the other side, I'm like, but a lot of people are being oppressed on your side, but you're not fighting. You're only taking photos and recording. Why can't you also take it physical like you're advising us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about, um, you know, with the hate, it's gone both ways, like, you have, you know, black people, you've been to America, you, 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 you have black people say, you know, they hate us, or they'll say, and, and, and this one really bothers me, because it's even bigger than Africans and African Americans, but I've heard it even in Africa, um, in different African stores, but people saying, oh, those people stink over there, or, oh, they don't like deodorant, and and I've heard South Africans say about West African shops, it stinks in there. And it's, you know, it smells. And at the same time, you would have a, a, a racist person say that same thing about a South African. <laughs> um, and, and it's like, you know, there, there can be cultural smells um, that you might not be familiar with, maybe you like. But have you heard that one? And have you? Have you I, don't, I don't think I've seen a show on that one yet, where you have like a whole panel uh, of, of people. Maybe I'm, I'm causing, you know, so I'm have some friction in YouTube. I'm causing an episode. I think I've not, uh, basically, maybe in East Africa, I've not really had a lot about that. The only stereotypes uh, for sure I've had is uh, people saying, oh, the Muslim community and the spray they use, the Somalis and all that, that they use, it's just that. But I've never heard about African-Americans and Africans saying, maybe I've not, not in my cycles, but it's not something maybe very common in East Africa, maybe. I've not heard about the smelling, like, oh, these people smell and all that. I've never heard, but I think it's just BS. Like, really? Really, how can you see? I mean, the racist, uh, the, the, the racist and the WS always would always say, like, oh, black people stink, black people this. And now you're still using the same, same stereotype that when it's used on you, you feel so bad. You want to use it on the on your brother or whatever. If you are, if if somebody is not using the or whatever and you want, just tell the person, like, hey, you need to do this. Eh? Like in a brotherly manner, sisterly manner, do it. Like, just tell the person, don't go on starting stereotyping because you met one person who didn't smell uh, according to your expectations. But I'm talking about cultural smells and all that. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's not, not in Kenya. I've not heard about cultural smells and all that. Well, you say you heard it with the Muslims or, you know, or the, the you know, Somalis and Middle East, which I love incense. And I burn incense. I love incense. But I do know there's many... Um, people, especially Africans, have come to my house, you know, family members, whatever, friends, and they're like, oh, incense, and depending where they're from, they have, you know, they might love it, they might hate it, it doesn't matter, it's, it's my house, but I like incense, and so I just, I find that one to be interesting, because I've sat in meetings 
with African groups that have migrated to America. And that's actually been a topic of discussion. And I'm like, huh, wow. And, and this is in hot Louisiana where we're all sweating like goats. I mean, it, it's hot. Nairobi, Mombasa didn't have anything on Louisiana. Humidity, you know, it's just hot. So, um, it, you know, it's just, just an interesting uh, topic. With, you know, your, your startups and, you know, you say, you know, no revenue. Have you looked at uh, venture capital, also known as vulture capital, because they are vultures, are angel investors for your startup? Uh, well, we are in the process of getting uh, some and some, if the deal is not good, we don't take it. So far, that's uh, what I can see. If the deal is not, we're not getting a good deal yet. But uh, at the moment, we are we're making progress. We're making progress. That's all I can say. Okay. Now, are you not getting a good deal because, like, just learning how venture capitalists think, which is different than what your typical, I mean, your MBA program is not going to teach you what a venture capital, how they think. That's a process, you know, you need to go through the process. You need to have more than just a pitch deck. But we find like many startups are like a pitch deck. I have a deck. What's the difference? And there's a big difference. But is it just the learning process or are you finding that, you know, finding people to connect with in Nairobi is just difficult? No, it's not difficult as such, but getting the right person. Okay. Because you know a lot of people. You can't, if you if someone is investing in your company, you can't give like almost all the powers to the person for us. Like they want so much for little, so you won't take that deal. Oh, so they're, they're bad. They're, we, we call that bad dating. They want a lot, don't want to get, give a little, want to take you to McDonald's. Um, but um, at the end of the night, they want to, you know, go to the Sheraton or something, the Hilton. That's um, so it's just talk about your startup because it's in, you know, healthcare, I, I believe. And, you know, I love healthcare businesses. Talk about, you know, what problem you guys are solving with the startup. Uh, basically, um, our startup is called Afia Chap Chap, uh, which is basically a mobile and web platform that uh, connects healthcare service providers to potential clients who are patients or people who need the healthcare services. That's just basically it. And uh, the reason we're doing it, it's because uh, sometimes finding a healthcare provider is very hard. Initially, I think I mentioned that the intake of insurance in Kenya is less than 4%. So a lot of people don't have health insurance because a number of people just have enough to live, they earn and they have enough to eat. But should a calamity strike, they're going broke and whatever they like if if it's sickness and all that they're going broke so uh, besides linking this patient to a healthcare provider we also link them to emergency credit providers the online credit providers whereby they can get emergency medical loan and then they can be able to pay it over a period of time so the platform is in a manner that as a patient when you sign into the platform you are able to search 
and locate the healthcare service provider that you need. Uh, if I'm, let me say I'm here in Nairobi and I'm feeling unwell, I need a dentist. And I don't know where is the nearest dentist I will get because services like dentist, they are not everywhere. You have to know uh, the ratio of, because of the ratio of patient to doctor is very low. Like there are more patients than doctors. It's like one to 10,000. The country has about 7,000 7, doctors registered for a population of 48 million. So now, now with that, I would think, you know, if there were so few doctors that they might have like a medical complex row, like they all, you know, come together and they're in one area. So, you know, if you're, in the place like let's say the Westland, Westlands, you can easily find someone. Which you know, but it's 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 not it's not like that. Like you really have to know somebody to find a doctor. Why are not more people going to school um, to become doctors and dentists? It's expensive. First, the qualification are also very high. The qualification you have to get like straight A's and also uh, it's expensive and also passion there. You see one of the lessons, one of the things that discourages people, it's uh, they'll have to deal with dead bodies in the course of their studies and all that. And not everybody's into that. There are people who fear death and all that. You know, death is something that people don't even talk about easily. It's something that will happen, but people really don't talk about it. It's something that people fear. So some people will not take it simply because they can't they can't imagine relating to some drop along the way some students drop along the way because they realize it's something that they can't deal with it. You see, healthcare is a calling. Working in the healthcare it's like a calling. If you don't have the heart and whatever, you will not be successful in the field. Now, is the money there? Uh, you know, here in the states, if you are in healthcare, the higher you go the more money you can, you know, make a very healthy six figure, depending on your specialty, maybe even higher money, like brain surgeons out here can make a million dollars a year. Um, you know, is it, can you make great money doing those things in Kenya? Yes, yes. Of course, I cannot say great in comparison, uh, like the same amount of money with the US, because also, you know, the standards of living is different. You probably pay two thousand for your house or a thousand dollars for a house, but in Kenya you'd probably pay a house four hundred, three hundred. So doctors are among the highest. It's very hard to not to have a job if you're a doctor. You can't unless you just don't want. Okay. As, and also the ones now in private practice, and also due to the shortage, uh, and due to the shortage of doctors. So you find one doctor who's working. They have like, oh, on this day, I'll be working on this hospital. On this day, I'll be working on this hospital. On this day, I'll be working on my clinic, in my clinic, on this day. So you have to know where they are at specific points. And that is where we also come in because the doctors are also limited. And we also, also the different places they work, the, the fee that they charge is very, is very different. So you are feeling unwell and you want a, a doctor to provide you with maybe dental services but this is your budget. So you can be able to log into the platform. You see the list of dentists who is closest to you and the amount they charge. So you are able to make a booking. You can also see the rating depending on the user ratings, the user ratings. 
So you are able to get at least a doctor whom that you can, who you can afford within your budget and also providing you quality, affordable healthcare services. And I say, if you have, you know, we, we love everything about Africa, but when you go to an African hospital, I can only imagine if you don't have the money, you're like a prisoner. You're, you're stuck until you know you you can get the money um and that's even if you have the money you gotta you know run to the bank and go grab this bundle i've, I've had to deal with that situation and with these loans that you're giving um are these interest-free loans no Basically, uh, people still take loans. They cannot be interest interest free because at the end of the day, you'll still need a loan. And the loans that you are giving, it's not us as Afia Chapter who are actually giving the loan. We have partnered with the um, credit providers, the lenders, the digital lenders. We've partnered with the digital lenders. You you know, digital money and lending is quite common and popular in Kenya. So uh, we partnered with them. So even the, the, what is it called? Whatever the criteria they use to make you qualify is on them. So the burden is not on us. We're just actually facilitating. Only that we'll negotiate, you'll get it at a lower rate than if you booked directly through the digital lenders. So we are just an intermediary uh, for that. Like you can get a digital loan or, uh, on your phone to help you facilitate or to talk on to what you are getting as the in the healthcare as the bill for your, for your healthcare services and not that this digital loan do not come to your phone as Kellen no it goes to the healthcare service provider whom you have requested on whom you are getting the services from is there, any, is there any way um, for these loans to be um, kind of crowdfunded where let's say it's kind of like we pick stock or we pick different investments. If we see, say we want to put our money in these or if there's, you know, particular patients, maybe you have a heart for cancer patients and, and is there a way to, you know, have this since the you're dealing with lenders anyway for outside lenders, um, possibly foreigners to say, Hey, I want to put my money towards this because I know I'm not gonna lose money uh, because people are always gonna be sick, they're always gonna need money. And I, you know, is, is that possible or even legal in Kenya? Yeah, it's legal. I mean, that would mean we'll have to have uh, another model whereby we are the ones who are doing it and uh, the people, but at the moment, uh, we're focusing on this part of the development first because it would be, if we go into everything at once, it would be too much for us to handle. So okay. that is something that we can work on later on. At the moment, it's easier. It removes because there's a lot. It would make the process longer for us and our business because getting all those permits, the regulation by the banking sector, because now you've started handling the money, banking sector and stuff like that. It's going to be uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of work for us now. So that is why we are basically, if someone fails to repay and whatever, it is not on us. It's on the lenders. For us, we just provided a, a platform to link you with the lenders. If people do fail to pay, how does collections work in, in Kenya? Uh, they get listed with the CRB, that is Credit Regulation Bureau. So that means you'll never access money 
uh, you'll never access any other loan in your life until you pay that. So you'll get listed. So it's like you're blacklisted. So be it a bank, be it any other financial institution, you'll never get money because you have uh, you have a debt remaining. And sometimes you can even they could they could auction you. They could uh, they, you could be auctioned. You could be arrested and stuff like that. Wow, you could be arrested for not paying your debt. Yeah. Wow. Are, are prisons, are uh, jails privatized at, at all where, you know? No, it's public. It, it's, all, it's all public. Wow, okay. That's, um, they used to have that in America, the debtor's prison. They do it a different way now. They still do it, but they remix the law. So they say that you, you can't go to jail for not paying your debt, but it, it does happen. That that's that's interesting. Um, I was just wondering, you know, how they put up the collateral because on this side, you always hear people say you can't do that business in Africa because Africans will just run off with the payment, and you're like, hold on, most Africans pay their their rent you know, far in advance, unlike Americans who everything is month to month, your car payment, everything is check to check. So no, this is good game. Now, Tigers, I want to ask you with all your success and everything that you're doing, what is your community give back that you are doing now or that you want to do in the future? Well, I'll still go back to the organization that I, whatever I was doing in my community, we were creating resource centers for the youth and women, so especially those ones who are lacking um, uh, employment or the women or the young girls who drop out of school due to early pregnancies and all that. So probably uh, um, just teaching them skills like tailoring, carpentry, masonry, skills that they can become they can employ themselves or get other jobs because i think our education system basically focused us onto being lawyers bankers teachers and whatever so a lot of people have ended up being uh, lacking employment because we are all looking for blue collar but you'd be surprised that someone who's very good in carpentry and whatever is making way more than a bank manager mm, okay no, this is this is good stuff, and you know all of African Tigress's links for everything, even her startup that she sometimes hides on YouTube and doesn't mention that it will be there, so you guys can see. And if you can, you know, make a a positive impact, make sure you reach out to her. I'm just so happy to have you on to talk about business. You know, that's probably one of my my favorite topics. To, to talk about, um, you know, talk about business and Jesus and, and talk about how uh, none of us are perfect in, in either of those. Um, but I appreciate you. And you guys have gotten the game. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. You know, keep having the African Tigris movement rise and be blessed. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversify Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifygame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.